This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Pat Shevland, the Amazon best-selling author of How Do I Survive? Seven Steps to Living After Child Loss. Patricia Pat Shevland has been in the healing profession since she was in her teens. She became a registered nurse after high school, beginning her career caring for patients in the hospital setting and ultimately transitioning to a very successful 25-year career as a corporate executive in the medical and claim management field of workers' compensation. In 2012, Pat began the reinvention of her life to pursue her dream of being a life coach and was certified by the International Coaching Federation in 2015. Pat sees herself as a healing guide for mind, body, and spirit. She became certified as a Spring Forest Qigong teacher in 2017 and is a certified funeral celebrant serving those who are not affiliated with any religion or church. She also is a volunteer at Children's Grief Connection, a nonprofit organization providing grief camps for children and their families in Minnesota and Wisconsin. As Pat stepped into her second half of life, she realized her sole purpose, to be a light for those who grieve. Since a very young age, Pat has been very comfortable holding the space of grief for others, especially with mothers who have experienced the death of a child. As a child born into a grieving family, Pat understands firsthand the impact long-term grief from the death of a child can have on a mother and the family as a whole. She began her journey as a coach for grieving mothers by helping her own mother find healing from 60 years of hidden grief after the death of her child. Since that time, many mothers have shared their stories and found purpose and joy in their lives with Pat's compassionate guidance. Meet Pat on HealingFamilyGrief.com. Here is the interview with Pat Shevland. In your own words, who is Pat Shevland? Oh, that's a great question. In my own words, I am a daughter, a mother, a wife, a grandmother, and I call myself a healing light for those who grieve. That's my, I believe I was placed on this earth to help people who are grieving to find their purpose 
and healing in their deep grief so that they can have this life that's filled with peace and happiness and truly joy. What is healing to you? Oh, healing is on so many dimensions. So there can be the physical healing, of course, and I'm a nurse by background, a registered nurse. Um, But also there's the healing of the emotional healing, which I work with as a grief coach and spiritual healing. And another piece of what I do is I am a Qigong teacher, which is ancient Chinese medicine. And that's where we do the healing on all dimensions. So it's um, just really depends on the person and what it means. But healing to me is just finding that, um, oh, what I want to say, that vibrancy of life. And even if someone is in their transition from this particular life to go to the next, I believe that there's great healing for the soul and the spirit to make that just a beautiful transition. What is spirituality to you and what is the spirit? Oh, that's a great question. Spirituality to me, I believe that we are all light of the divine. And so I myself call this God or the universe, but I believe that we are all one. We are all part of this beautiful universe. We make it up. We're all the puzzle pieces And we are this light of the divine. And so the spirituality to me is to tap into that light and be able to provide love and kindness and forgiveness and learn all these beautiful things that we can learn through each other and to really be here and be the best that we can be and to help others to be the best that they can be. When did you learn that you had this understanding about life was it a moment in time or was a um let's say a process um i you know it wasn't until i didn't really get deep into my spirituality until i was in my 50s and i think it was a process but i did have some defining moments and epiphanies during that time which really um propelled me into my spirituality very quickly and very deeply. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience as a whole? Oh, I I feel like being here on earth is like a classroom and and a playground and that we're really here to understand the depth of what true unconditional love is truly what unconditional love is of being this part of divinity each one of us to bring that forward um yeah to just really experience it and even in the challenging times to understand the opposites because we cannot know light if we do not know darkness, we cannot know up if we do not know down. And so I think it's just so important for us to play on this playground in this classroom and to experience it um, in this lifetime. What do you love most about being in a human body? Oh, that's an interesting question. What do I love most? I love my senses. I love to, I'm just thinking, I'm staring out at a beautiful woodland 
and my to be able to go out in that woods and when I'm walking to feel my my muscles just being able to glide along my body and to smell. Um, we're in Minnesota, the the earthy earthiness of fall, and to see the beautiful colors and the changing, and and to touch and feel the textures. I mean, it's it's all of that. It's all the the senses that I don't know that you know I haven't been out of my body. So I'm assuming. It's probably even more magnified, um, but that's really what I love about the human body. What is freedom to you? What is the meaning of freedom to you? Uh, freedom is being able to pursue what is in my heart. That's what it is. With all the challenges we have been through this year, 2020, are going through it at this time, actually. Do you have a vision for a new reality, for a better reality? Oh, absolutely. I, my belief is, an end. going through this, the challenges that we've gone through this year um, with uh, the pandemic and in the United States with all of the political things that have gone on and job losses and all that, I saw it right from the beginning as this is like a huge reset and it really, it was the big pause and to see families coming together in a way that I never saw before to allow ourselves to let go of a lot of the materialism and the fear, you know, I saw families coming through the fear so quickly um, with the pandemic and even just over the last week, the, um, the energy and anxiety and fear that was ramping up into the election seems to have paused so deeply. And I think that this was, I don't know, like almost like we needed it so that we could get back to being the, the light that we all are. What is your understanding and also idea of love? Oh, love, love. I think that is absolutely the key component to life in and of itself. Love, love also is like healing. There are so many dimensions to love, but to me, our greatest purpose here is to experience unconditional love, to be able to give it and to receive it. And unconditional love is, is not an easy task because we all have expectations of one another, but to truly love every being with no conditions and just because they are all part of us and the divine is what I see as truly what love is. And love is the healer. It is the absolute healer of all things. Do you think it's possible to love others unconditionally before we love ourselves unconditionally? I think that uh, <laughs> it's kind of like the chicken and the egg. <laughs> I think it is so important that we need to be able to unconditionally love ourselves. This is my feeling is we need to have a gallon of love in order to give a cup. And so we really do need to nurture the unconditional love in ourselves to be able to fully do that and, and provide it for other people. So I think it really does start from within us. And then we flow it out to others. But it's like that infinity symbol as we flow it out it comes back to us. And so it's like a constant 
um, beautiful flow in and out from us to us. That self-love too, loving the other. <laughs> so that's beautiful. So how did you become a writer, Pat? Oh, um, back <laughs> in, I think it was 2012, I was working with my mother um, over some deep grief that she had been holding in since the death of my brother long before I was born. And as I was um, working with my mother and her grief and learning more about the time period of her life, I started really looking at my whole family and I realized that I wanted to share my family's story. And as I was sharing what I was doing to, I was just going to write a little biography, autobiography kind of memoir. And all these women came to me. They were either siblings of child loss or they were mothers of child loss, started sharing their stories. And so all of a sudden I realized, wow, people are coming. They've always shared their stories with me, but this was really important, I felt. And I thought, you know, I really feel that if they would allow me to do so, I should capture all of their stories in a book so that we can share it's so important for us to be able to tell our stories and that's part of the healing process. So I wrote a book back a few years ago on that, that was kind of the precursor to my present books. I'm actually finishing a, a third book right now, but um, that was the start of it was wanting to be able to share the stories for these women and allow them to give voice to and be heard. What was the intention when you wrote the book? How do I survive? Did you set an intention? Then? Yes. Um, my intention was to take all the wisdom from the many, many people I have worked with, including my own mother, who have experienced child loss, and taking all that wisdom and knowing what worked for people to be able to lead fulfilling lives and put it together in a way that would be easily available for grieving parents to help them in this journey that no one would wish upon another ever. Yeah, I often wonder if this is uh, the experience of losing a child or losing somebody you, we love dearly, if this is the most uh, painful experience in the human body. Would you say it is? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question. Um, I, when I started my coaching practice, interestingly enough, I wasn't looking for coaching um, women of child loss, but they are the ones that showed up on my doorstep, so to speak. And I just knew that that was part of my life purpose um, is to help these families and especially moms. And it is the most, there is no pain. I don't believe that could be greater than the loss of the child. How do we know when we have found our life purpose? I, you know, sometimes we go, oh, what is our life purpose or whatever? I think um, when you're living your life and you are just like excited to wake up in the morning and you, you start moving towards whatever it is that's your life purpose, it varies for everybody. But as you're in it, you just feel so alive. You feel like you are so on fire with happiness and joy and you're serving others. 
that's the key to me. Life purpose is all about being of service to others and having joy from that and, and feeling that joy because you know that you're serving other people and, and beings, not just people, all beings. You are a grief coach and also a certified funeral celebrant. I never heard that position, funeral celebrant. Yeah. What is that? Um, basically, there are a lot of people that are non-affiliated with a church or a particular religion. And when someone dies, they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't have a minister, you know, for my family member, my loved one. Or they didn't necessarily believe in that and didn't belong to a church. So I go in and I am non-denominational. And my goal is to sit down with the family and create the most beautiful service in honor of their loved one and in honor of them and their grief, because that's their first step in the grief journey is when they have the whatever service, whether it's a celebration of life or a funeral. So what I do is I take and I learn all about the individual who died and I create a beautiful ceremony where the family can breathe and feel um, feel so cared for, so loved, and start their journey of grief on a on a good note, you know that it feels good to them, and and they feel honored, and that their loved one was so loved. And that also makes me wonder if by doing what you do, now you have lost the fear of death of losing the body. Oh yes. <laughs> I, I have, um, and I don't know if you're okay with me telling a little story. Um, when I talked yeah. about the the, yeah. epif the epiphany, when I was a little girl, um, I realized that I had had a brother that died before I was born. No one talked about him. His name, Greg, wasn't spoken in the family. It was everything was buried about it. So he died about six years before I was born. And once I found out when I was about six years old through some curiosity, and I found some old photos. I became very connected with this child and he wasn't really a child to me in my mind, but I became very connected to him from a spiritual sense. So throughout my life, I have had this deep connection with this brother that I never knew. And so I was flying on a plane coming back from, I used to be a corporate executive um, in the workers' compensation field and I was flying back home after a work trip and I had an epiphany on the plane. And what happened is I felt like I was struck by lightning. I was actually like in my chair in the plane going, what is going on here? Literally felt like I was struck by lightning. And a voice came to me and said, I was born through you. And I knew immediately that this was my brother, that it was my brother, Greg. His birthday was the day before mine. And I always felt this deep connection. And then as the more that I tapped into that relationship with him, I have no fear of dying because I know that what's on the beyond the veil, the other side, whatever is just so extraordinarily beautiful. And there is no fear. It's just that we transform. We transform from our physical body into another type of body. And did you ever thought about becoming a intuitive, a psychic or medium? You know, um, it kind of naturally comes to me. I don't, um, yeah. go out and 
talk about that. But when I'm working with grieving families, um, their, their loved ones will come through. And I've had lots of experiences with that. I think we all are. I think that we all are intuitive. I think we can all be mediums. It's just opening up our hearts and our minds to that ability and getting in the present and allowing these beautiful spirits to come through us. And a lot of times I may not even know it, but then I have a sense in my body when they come and then words will start, you know, I'll start sharing something and then the family member will go, oh, that's exactly what my loved one would say. Or that's exactly what they thought. And so I just know that I can be a conduit for that, you know, beyond the dimension here. But I think we all can be that. I think that everybody has that ability. So let's talk about grief for a moment. You wrote something interesting. You said grief is a critical part of the healing process. So grief is important. We should not try to bypass that, let's say, experience. So my question is, do you believe it's something that's progressive? It changed, but remains for the rest of our lives? Or we go through the stages and then has an end? Oh, there is no ending. Grief to me is love. If, if we had never loved deeply, we would never grieve. So it is part of that same emotion, this deep grief. And it is a healing process, but there is no end point because we always love the person who is no longer physically with us. And it's not linear. It's not, there isn't a cookie cutter process for grief. It's a roller coaster of emotions. It can get all entangled in all different kinds of emotions. And so, yes, there are studies, you know, that we have the stages of grief um, and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and absolutely those are stages that go in, but it is up and down and all around. It's like, like this massive roller coaster of emotions for people. I have a friend who it is 11 years out since her son died and she did really well for the first nine. And then all of a sudden you're 10 and into the 11th year, it really erupted because things transform and change. And she started looking back in her life and, and realizing how many years had gone by. And so the deep grief erupted again and so needed to work through that. So it's, it's a transition. It's transitory. It never goes away, but I, it softens. It softens and, and it's like when we get very harmed and we're cut and bleeding and bruised and, and go through all of that over time, a gentle scar remains. And that's what I see grief as is that when people can deal with their grief and, and be in it and find the tools to help them through it and do healthy grieving, they, that scar is not um, as painful, but it's a gentle reminder always of that deep love that always sits in their heart. So it is possible that people who have lost a child or loved ones to still have joy. So sorrow and joy, they can coexist in a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, you know, I, I know so many people who have experienced child loss and they're the ones, as I said, they're, they were my wisdom keepers and they shared with me and I could see, you know, and part of that, we talked about life purpose earlier um, those who can step into a life of purpose and use this extraordinary um, grief and move it into a gift for others, supporting others, 
loving others, those are the people that they do find joy and they can smile and laugh and, and find that joy. And most of them will always say, you know, my loved one would want me to do that. My loved one wouldn't want me to be sitting here in dark clothes and mourning for the rest of my life. So talk to me about the seven steps. You use the acronym BREATHE, which I love, as I said, off record. So do you want to go through all of them, Pat, or do you want to mention some of them? Well, I can, I can quickly go through them. And, and um, you know, just the reason why I came and I, I called it BREATHE, the acronym um, for all of the steps, is that when we're grieving and we're so distraught, what happens? We start getting all shook up and, and we take a breath in and we don't know how to exhale because it gets stuck into our lungs. And if we look at the ancient Chinese wisdom and healing medallion of Qigong and, and all of that and the five element theory, grief is part of our breathing energy system. It's the emotion that can cause stuckness in our breathing system. So this is what I do with my, with my clients. The first thing I teach them is how to inhale and how to exhale to just calm themselves down so that we can even just talk and start the process. So, um, so I start out with B in the breathe and that is just understanding who you are at this time because who you were before your loved one died is totally different. What was important to you is not as important as it was. Um, you have different values that may show up because life has changed so dramatically. Would that be breathing practices for being clear? Actually, this is, I do some, actually it's understanding your values. So I have them do some um, surveys and testing to gather information about what are their strengths, um, what are their challenges and just who they are. I have, I do their human design, which isn't even in the book. That's something new that I have them do now. Um, so that they can figure out really what, who they are and who they came to this earth to be, what are their strengths and how we can use those strengths to help them to move forward and how some of their strengths may actually cause them problems. And so how do we work around those strengths um, so that they're not an Achilles heel, so to speak. And I have them rate where they're at today in terms of their life survey and emotions that they have so that as they're going through the program, they can actually measure where they're at at the end of it to see their progress. So they have an objective evaluation of how they're doing um, throughout this process. How can our strength become an impediment to happiness or anything that's good? Okay, I'm going to use myself as an example. One of one of my one of my strong strengths is to love and be loved. And when I'm in that mode, I am just, you know, flying on cloud 9. I'm so happy. But sometimes if I feel like I'm not being loved, I may get um annoyed or crabby or very sad. And I make up stories and then it's not, it's not moving me forward. And so it's knowing that sometimes my deep love can actually stop me because I'm looking for it. Um, sometimes people have a strong sense of, you know, one of their strengths is critical thinking and judgment. Sometimes they may overthink things too much. 
And so it, and it could stop them from moving forward. So we just work through that and, and talk about how might that be and what might they be able to do to move themselves um, through that challenge, uh, you know, because we all have these beautiful strengths and they're great for some reasons and other times they just may not be exactly what we need. Step two is the R letter, reimagining your life. Yes. Um, basically what this is, is taking a look at six months to a year out, especially for people who are grieving. You know, we talk about um, coming up and having, you know, our vision boards and things like that. But when we're grieving and, and in such um, deep pain, it's hard to look really far out and not do three to five year goals. So I, ha I have a meditation, a guided imagery meditation that I have in the book um, where people can go through that. And it's to relax them. Really, the big purpose is to relax them, to understand that they can dream of what it may look like and to help them. What is it that I, what I'm looking for? What is the changes that I want to make now? And when I'm working individually with them and as when they're going through the book, they can take the steps then to start stepping into that life that they really want and what they're looking for. Mostly when, when I'm working with grieving parents, the one thing they're looking for is just a sense of peace to find some peace. Mm. Do you have that link for the guided meditation? Yes. When um, and, and what I'm going to do is anybody who wants a free book, all they have to do, I'll give you that information. They can get the free book and and then I can send the um, the it's a YouTube video of the link for the guided meditation to guide people through it. I'll have the link to on the your podcast profile. Yep. And the step three, the letter E, engaging your tribe, which is um, basically support, but talk to me about it. Okay, so this is one of the most important things. Typically, when we are grieving, we may hole up and be around our family, and that's great, but our family cannot be our support because they're grieving also. They've also experienced a loss. So I encourage people that go out and find one to two to three people who can actually be there who for you, solely for you. They're your people. They're the ones that when you are like feeling like you're hanging by your fingernails off the edge of the cliff, they're going to be there to pull you up. They're the ones that, you know, if you... If you're just so in distress, they're going to pick up the phone. They're going to come over. You know, they're going to do whatever it takes just to be present with you and to meet you where you're at. And it's so important that we have that those people in our lives and they're objective. So they're not getting into the emotion so deeply like our family would. So they can see a little bit more clearly and help guide you when you're in your deep grief and to love you and hug you and do all that stuff that we need to be able to nurture ourselves in this period. And that would be also somebody like you, a grief yep. coach. Yeah. Or a counselor. Um, you know, some people have um, psychologists and counselors that they work with or um, clergy, you know, they're spiritual people. And so anybody like that is really great to have on your tribe team. Talk to me for a moment about the importance of practicing gratitude. Oh, yes. Um, gratitude heals. 
Um, it's so important when we can change that up. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this Chinese um, five element theory. Fear is what can really um, block our kidney energy system and our kidneys are our vitality. It's our life force. That's, you know, if we don't have our kidney energy system working, we will not survive. And so the opposite of that fear, which is what just overrides us when we're grieving, is to bring in gratitude. And so gratitude actually can heal that kidney energy system and, and move that from fear into gratitude. But the other thing about gratitude is there's science out there that if we do gratitude journaling every night, Every night you write down three to five things that you're grateful for of your day. And it could be as simple as, you know, oh, that apple was so juicy today. Mm, that was so good. That's simple. But we write this down right before we fall asleep. What happens is those thoughts stay within our subconscious as we're sleeping. And over a period of approximately 30 days, we will actually be happier. It actually changes the emotional um, vibration and also everything in our brain because we're doing this gratitude. So there's lots of studies out there about the power of gratitude and how bringing that in will actually create happier being. I never heard about this, what you said now, which makes a lot of sense and interesting about fear and grief being connected to kidney issues. That is interesting. Just thinking about some people in my family now, they have kidney issues and they have actually lost people that they loved very much. They are probably not healed yet. Yep. So bringing in gratitude just for them to start a little gratitude journaling exercise or waking up in the morning and just um, saying, you know, three to five things that they're thankful for. It changes because our bodies respond to the positive things that we tell it, you know, our bodies are so full of wisdom and the chi, which is the Chinese word for the energy of our body is so intelligent. So when we give it positive intention, our bodies actually can change the physical makeup through that. And through epigenetics, we've found that also. And Dr. Bruce Lipton's work, we can actually change our physical bodies and the way our DNA is reacting by using positive thoughts and bringing that into our bodies. Another thing in the book that you mentioned is the acronym FAITH, Finding Awesome Inspiration to Heal. So talk to me for a moment about that. Yeah, so that came to me several years ago. And a lot of people will think of faith as a spiritual work or, you know, something to do with God or, or whoever. And to me, it's like faith breeds hope and finding awesome inspiration to heal is bringing in little activities in your life that can help you when you are feeling at your lowest. And so I ask my clients and I have in the book, create your own faith toolbox. You're finding awesome inspiration to heal toolbox and come up with a list of faith tools. And so those might be as simple as when, you know, opening up a window 
and breathing in some fresh air. And if you're, you know, in an area where there's trees and birds, just taking some deep breaths and listening for the birds chirping or fluttering outside your window. It might be doing some self-care activities like taking a long, nice bath with some lavender and Epsom salts, you know, just to relax yourself. Because when we're in the midst of an emotional crisis and we're sobbing and we can't get our air and the grief is just overtaking us, it's really hard to think of how do I get out of this? And so my clients have all told me it's been so wonderful to have a list and then they just go and they have that list close behind. It's like, okay, okay, I can go for a walk. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get, I'm going to put on my shoes and go for a walk. And then they slowly are able to release that, you know, because we don't want to shove down our emotions. It's very important to allow the emotions to occur. But then there comes a time when it's like, okay, if it feels like it's too much, then find these little things. They're simple little things. You know, like I've talked about, you know, if you're feeling really bad, go walk in an open dog park, even if you don't have a dog, because dogs are so happy and their owners are so happy. You know, there's just little things that we can do to help bring our light up within ourselves just by being around other creatures and other beings. And transforming your view, T, you wrote something like, uh, I think I'm paraphrasing, but maybe not. I believe guilt is a form of anger, anger that is directly internally toward oneself. And then you speak about forgiveness too. So my question is, is forgiveness also a process or how do we measure forgiveness? How do we know we have forgiven ourselves and others? Oh, that's a good question too. You're really good at this. Um, how do we know? When that particular emotion is not sitting with us in us anymore, like I used, for example, in my book about my mother, and she carried the guilt about the death of my brother for within her for 60 years. And then we did some reframing. And I talked to her about what actually happened the day that, and night that he died. And it opened her eyes to, oh, that really wasn't my fault. And she was able to release that guilt and she relaxed some. And so for me, I've had it where, you know, yes, where I've needed to do some forgiveness in my life. And I guess the easiest way of, of knowing when you've reached it is when that's not in your head all the time. And, you know, that whatever that instance is or that person that you um, feel so bad about, or you, or your self-talk starts going away, your negative self-talk, then you know that you have reached that point where you truly are stepping into forgiveness. And I have some tools. And again, as we tell ourselves, our body is so intelligent, the energy is so intelligent. As we keep saying, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Even if we don't feel it, we can fake it until we make it. And then it will come to be, but it's not like a one and done, you know, um, it depends on how deep that emotion sits with us or with that other person. And so it can be a, a journey of moving through, um, a process of forgiveness and, and there is no timetable on it. It's just continuing to pray, um, to tell yourself those intentions that I forgive and, you know, allowing yourself to perhaps even say those words to another 
is a huge act of forgiveness. So the two last steps, they are honoring your child and embracing change. I don't have any questions for you on that, but honoring your child. I spoke to somebody recently, perhaps not too recently, six months ago. She had lost her daughter and I asked her about keeping the belongings of her daughter. So I asked her if this was a good idea because that would be a reminder of that pain. And she said it was the opposite, actually. It was great to keep the belongings because that was love, it represented love, actually. That connection was still alive. What do you think about that, keeping the belongings of a child? I think for as long as it's working for someone and it's a comfort, it is absolutely fine. If it is something that always triggers the deep anxiety and grief, then that's a whole nother story. So everybody is so different. So for the woman that you talked about, that absolutely is a healing way for her to have that. But for some other people, having those physical belongings around may be such a reminder um, of the tragedy of losing their child that it may not be comfortable. But I've had women who have said, you know, I've, I've got the ashes. I, I have it wrapped in a pillowcase. I sleep with my child's ashes. Am I weird? Am I, you know, do I, is there something wrong with me? And I'm like, no, I think that's perfectly okay. If it comforts you, it's okay. Now there will come a time where you may decide that you're going to do something different, but we really need to honor and ceremony is so important. Um, I just finished a weekend. I volunteer at a children's grief camp. So these children and their families have um, have experienced the death of a loved one, might have been a child, a parent, um, grandparent, a sibling. And we do a ceremony, a candle lighting ceremony, and we send back candles with the family, little red heart-shaped candles, and encourage them to come up with a way to remember their loved one and start talking about those memories. My mom and dad buried my brother and never spoke of him again, and it was tragic, and it... Um, it created 60 years of absolute heart-wrenching um, guilt and fear and pain for my mother. She was never able to speak of my brother. Now we celebrate him. I've had his picture. I had his photo recreated, and I have it. My mom's 96, and she can see him every day. And so we get to honor this child that she never could for all those years. And she just smiles. She looks at him and she smiles. My mom smiles for the first time in my lifetime. She's smiling every time she sees his picture because we've allowed him to bring his spirit alive again. Another question that comes to mind is, what do you think is the message of losing people we love? What is that the spiritual world is trying to teach us? Oh, I think that's a hard one because, um, you know, again, I think it goes back to unconditional love and having and having a faith, having hope, knowing that this isn't all there is, that if if this is all there is, then there's nothing to look forward to. If this physical beingness is all there is, that's where we we won't find the healing. We won't find the joy. Um, and, and that does happen to people, but I think 
Um, it's a connection. It's a tethering, an umbilical cord for us to have this connection to that other dimension, to that spiritual realm. And to me, that is, that's really what death is. And, and to finding that spiritual spirituality within us. So many of us go through lives and we don't connect with that until after something like this happens. And so I think that's probably a lesson. But for many, if you're a grieving parent, they don't want to hear that because they would rather have their their person and their child with them. And so everybody is all so different for everybody. The last step is embracing change. I know your work is um, all about this, embracing change, basically. But this is something that's so challenging to do for most of us. So what is your secret <laughs> in embracing change, especially challenging yes. change? Yes. Um, we're always changing. Always, every minute, every second, everything is changing. The seasons are always changing. Um, but I coined the phrase, the acronym HOPE for honoring our purpose every day. And we spoke about that earlier in our call. We all are here for a life purpose, what I call a soul purpose, S-O-U-L purpose. We're all here for a reason. And so once we're able to step into that soul's purpose and we honor our purpose every day, that's what brings us hope. That's where we can see the future, where we can give to others and love one another and share our gifts, share our sorrow, share all of these things so that we can make this world a much better place. A lot of people are grieving right now. A lot of people are grieving with what's all been going on with the pandemic and what's worldwide and what's been going on in the United States. And wow, to be able to honor our purpose every day and take all that grief and anger and sadness and all of that and to be able to propel it forward in love and to support one another that's where the healing begins and that's where we will create this united world um, filled with love and compassion because that's what it's all about is loving each other and being compassionate um, for each other as spiritual beings and as human beings Success. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful? What is to be successful? I think um, yeah. for my view of success is not necessarily material. It is about um, being in communion with each other to care that compassion. If you are a parent, a grandparent, to success to me is raising our next generations to be filled with full of heart and compassion and kindness. That to me is success when I see my children being great parents and teaching their children to have these qualities to me, that is wonderful success. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? Oh, that I don't control any of it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> um, <true>. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have always been one that I've just, I've gone full force. And as I said, I was a corporate executive for 25 years and a decision maker and all of that. 
and and you know life doesn't life throws us curveballs all the time and so my greatest lesson was i am not in control of creating these things but i am in control of how i react to them how i deal with them and how i show up for others um so that they too can learn through the way that i show up and so that was my biggest lesson i guess is and that people are watching us people are listening to us whether it's our children or our friends or when we're on social media that i have a responsibility to always think before i speak and do it with um love and kindness um and no matter what's going on inside my head that that's really an important um lesson two more questions if you knew you would die soon meaning losing the body would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way right now I feel very very good about where my life is at because I've made some really um important decisions but I would just want to spend it with my family. I'd want all my family around me as much as possible with all my grandchildren and and just spend my time with them. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now, Pat? It's unpredictable. Um it's always changing. and it is exciting thank you so much for your beautiful wisdom your message again your work your presence thank you oh thank you i have one more question this is a technical one where can we find more information about you your work your books products services and future projects okay they uh, anybody can go to my website which is www.healingfamilygrief dot com. Thank you so much again, Pat. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Pat Sheevland and her work, please visit healingfamilygrief.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. Bye.